uh, be in prayer for him. It's a great privilege and blessing to be here with you this morning, to be engaged in the worship of our Lord. Um, I do recall the, the last time I was here, I was thinking about this yesterday as we were driving up. The last time I was here was a meeting y'all had last March of 2020. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the reason, but right after that weekend, everything went sideways. I'm pretty sure I'm not the reason for that. But if it happens after this weekend, I'm not coming back, okay? <laughs> but I hope and pray that's not the reason. I hope you've been in prayer and will continue in prayer that what time we're with you, that the Lord will be with us in our efforts and that his name would be honored and magnified in all that is said and done. I'd like to draw your attention to uh, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It's Isaiah chapter 40. And I did go to your website this morning and look. And the last time I was here, I did preach from Isaiah 40, but... Then I preach from the beginning of the chapter, and this morning, Lord, I want to talk from the end of the chapter. Isaiah 40 is a, a rich chapter that talks about the, the majesty of God, the power of God, and actually tells or foretells of things that he is going to do that we read about in New Testament times. But as you come down towards the end of this, after Isaiah has been magnifying the Lord for who he is and, and what he does, he mentions things like he can gather the waters in the hollow of his hand, he can comprehend the dust of the earth in a span. That's how big our God is. I had a conversation with my children recently about they're learning about how big the universe is. And, of course, people will tell you now that the universe is, is without limit, that it's just infinite. Friends, the universe isn't infinite. It's created. It's finite. We don't know how big it is, but I can tell you this. The one who created it is infinite. There is no searching out of God. And... The prophet writes in verse 28, where our thought really begins. I want verse 31, but the thought really begins in verse 28. He asks a couple of questions. He says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not seen, that it's the everlasting God, that he is not weary, he doesn't faint, and he is basically without beginning and without end? And when thinking about this God that we should know about, that we should have heard about, seen, he says that he gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. I don't know about you, but in this world in which we live, I need power. I need might. I need courage. And the Lord supplies that to his children, and he has a, a limitless supply of that. And then he makes a natural correlation. He says, even the young men will fail, and I'm no longer young. I know how your pastor feels about this. He says the Bible does not speak of middle-aged. Now, the Bible may not speak about it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And, of course, his point is it speaks about young and old, and he knows he's not old, so he thinks he's still young. And you all just let him think that, okay? But I don't mind saying that I'm not young anymore. I don't believe I'm old. I'm getting there, but I'm not young. But I remember when, even when I was young. Look at my children now, and I tell you, they just they'll wear you out. They have a limitless seemingly supply of energy. Well, friends, even a young person is going to fail. Even a young person is going to grow weary and tired. But he makes this correlation that even though there are limits, naturally speaking, in verse 31, a verse that's very famous, I'm sure, and well-known to all of you, he says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, 
They shall walk and not faint. I don't care how young you are, how strong you are, how in shape you are. If you walk long enough, you're going to get tired. If you run long enough, you're going to get wore out. That's just nature speaking. But here he says that they that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. And they can have a situation where if they run, they won't be weary. If they walk, they won't faint. That sounds like something I'm interested in. How about you? I mean, there was a woman at a well in John chapter 4 who was told by Jesus, He that drinketh of the water that I shall give unto him shall never thirst. And she says, Okay, I'm interested. Tell me about this water so I don't have to come here and drink this water or draw this water again. And Jesus makes it clear to this woman in John chapter 4, he's not talking about natural water. He's talking about a water and a well that he gives to his children that springs up into everlasting life. And I want to be very clear so nobody misunderstands me. This verse is not teaching us that if we do something in this life that we're never going to get physically tired, we're never going to get physically wore out. That's a natural reality of life. I'm not going to stand here before you this morning and tell you that if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, that you'll have plenty of money in your bank account, you'll have plenty of good health, you'll live a good long life and have everything you want. That's not reality. That's not life. But what I will promise you is, by the end of this, as Paul said in Philippians 4 and 13, he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There is a sense in which a child of God doesn't have to go through this life discouraged. They don't have to go through this life wore out and depressed. They don't have to go through this life angry, sad, cast down. I know we get that way, but we don't have to be. As I'm trying to teach my children right now, life's hard enough. You don't have to make it any harder. It's going to be hard all by itself. So when they pull each other's hair and bite each other's arm and kick each other in the back, I mean, they're just making life harder on themselves and one another. But that's kind of how we are. We bite each other's arm, we rip each other's hair out, maybe not literally, but we do these things and we make life harder on ourselves than it has to be. Here Isaiah says, if we wait upon the Lord, we're going to renew our strength and we're going to have a situation that has really no bounds, it has no limits. So what does this mean? I'm, I'm interested in this. I don't know about you, especially after the year I've had, I'm interested in this verse. Here's what's interesting about it. It starts with something that is not natural. Waiting is not a natural thing. I mean, my children don't know how to wait. They don't know how to be still. When I'm talking, I have to remind them to be quiet when I'm talking. Well, friends, we're going to get to waiting in a minute, but let's talk about this effect. When you wait upon the Lord and you renew your strength, it says that you mount up with wings as eagles. When I think about this expression and this phrase, I want to take a positional text or positional thought first and move into how this experience should touch us. When it comes to our position that we have as God's children, we have a position that is secure, it will not fail, and it cannot be overthrown. Uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 9, he writes, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a lot of his inheritance. For he found him in a desert land, in a waste-howling wilderness. That's where the Lord found Jacob. It's where he found me. It's where he found you. It's where he found all of his children. But that's not where he left us. But it says that he led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, taketh them and carrieth them abroad on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. I want to impress upon you foremost this morning 
that our position is as sure and secure now as it's ever been and it ever will be that will never change because we are led about by God. We are kept as the apple of his eye. And as an eagle, he's done things for us. He's stirred us up. He's fluttered over us. He's borne us on his wings. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 91 and verse 4, he says that under the Lord's wings and under the Lord's feathers, thou hast come to trust. The psalmist says, I've learned what it means to be protected by God. I know what it means to be cared for by God. When I look back through my life, I see a lot of situations that I'm not happy about, that I'm not pleased with, things that I've messed up one way after another. But when I look back, I can see that the Lord was with me, even if I didn't know it. As Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Have you ever been there where the Lord was with you and you didn't realize it until later? Friends, I stand before you this morning as one who should have died 20 or 25 years ago. My wife doesn't like me to use this word from the pulpit because she's trying to teach our children it's a bad word. And you may agree with her, but friends, if something's stupid, it's just stupid, okay? You know, I was stupid when I was young. You think I'm dumb now. You should have known me 25 years ago. It was really bad then. But you know, I should have died back then. But when I look back at things that I was and things that I did, friends, there's only one reason that I still stand here today, and that's that the Lord has been with me. If you want to know why this country still stands today, as much as I appreciate what our founding fathers did, as much as I appreciate what they set up, the reason this country is still here today is not because our founding fathers were so wise. The reason this country is still here today is because God is still good into this country. The reason the church still exists in this land in which we dwell is because the Lord has been good unto her. And when I look back, the Lord has led us, the Lord has kept us, the Lord has preserved us. But as an eagle, he stirred us up. You know, an eagle, when it's born way up high in the mountains, if it is never pressured or pushed or prodded into flying, it would stay in that nest forever. Do you know what a mother eagle does? She pushes her baby eagles out of a nest. Now that may sound cruel, but she's not going to let them fall to their destruction. She pushes them out and they sit there and they flap and they flap and they flap. And then she swoops down and she catches them, bears them on her wings and brings them back up to the nest. And over time, those eagles learn how to fly. You know, when God's children are born again, we don't know everything there is to know. Now, if God was pleased, he could have just poured everything right into us. But the Lord's not pleased to do it that way. What the Lord is pleased to do is to teach us and to show us how faith is utilized. And friends, when it comes to faith in this world, I assure you it is simple, but I assure you it's not easy. Faith is a very simple thing because what faith is literally is confidence. It's trust. How did Isaiah begin? Hast thou not known? What is it that we should know that God is trustworthy? What is it we should have seen and experienced in our life that God is faithful? Has there ever been anything God has ever told us to do or commanded us to do? I challenge you with this, and I believe Brother Ronald would agree with me. You go through the Bible and you look. God has never once commanded his children to do something that is bad for them. Everything he commands us is good for us. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of things your boss may tell you that are not good for you. I actually work for you. I work for uh, Jane and John Doe taxpayer. I work for the United States government. So when you pay your taxes this spring, just think about paying my salary. You're welcome. So I can go to work 
And I assure you, working for the government, there's a lot of things that are not good for me. <laughs> there's a lot of things I'm told to do that make no sense. But God has never once in his book told us something that's not good for us and something that doesn't make sense. But what makes faith so hard for us is because we have to take that step, not knowing where it will ultimately be. You know, the psalmist writes in Psalm 119 and verse 105, he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He told Abraham, you get up and you go, and I'll tell you to stop when you get there. That took faith to just get up and do what God told him and go. And when the Lord told him to stop, this is the place you're going to live. That's where he stopped. You know, today, I may not have all the answers. I may not be able to tell you where everything is going to lead. But I can tell you this. If God commanded it, do it. You know, Mary had a very simple command to the servants in John chapter 2. She said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. It's just that simple. And friends, what he commands us, it may not be the easiest to to follow because it's hard on our flesh. I assure you it's simple. Just do whatever he's told us to do. So anyway, this eagle shall push your young out and teach them how it is that they stretch themselves and how they fly. And what faith does is it stretches us and it teaches us that we ought to be doing in our life. You know, the disciples asked Jesus one time, they said, Lord, increase our faith. What was his response? Did he say, okay, I'll give you more faith? No, he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, just that much. He said, you could tell that mountain be removed and be cast yonder into the sea. Let me ask you a question. We're going to get to prayer, hopefully, by the time this is all over. But when you go to the Lord in prayer, have you ever offered a prayer like this? Lord, I'm coming to you, and this is what I really want, and I, I really need for this to happen. But in your heart, you're like, it's never going to happen. You ever prayed to the Lord that way? I have. Have you ever prayed for this country and in your heart thought, but nothing's going to change? Have you ever prayed for somebody who had forsaken the church and walked away and said, Lord, please open their eyes, but they'll never be back? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I have. Friends, the Lord can turn this country around like that if he wants to. The Lord can turn anybody's heart around like that if he wants to. When we go to the Lord, we need to go with the confidence. Just, all it takes is faith as a grain of mustard seed. And it will make great things in our life be removed and be cast into the sea. Now, having said that, when the Lord stirs up us as an eagle, and under his wings we come to trust, notice what this does. We mount up ourselves as eagles. We mount up and we're able to ride upon the high places of the earth. You know, there are things that when you look at them, if you look at the same thing from a different perspective, it will give you a whole bigger sense or different sense of it. I remember the first time I went up in an airplane, I was able to look down at the earth from like 30,000 feet. You know, the earth doesn't look the same from 30,000 feet as it does walking on it. Something that looks really big. I mean, y'all have a very high roof here. But if I was 30,000 feet in the air, this would look like a very tiny building. You know that? And the things that we struggle with on a daily basis, the things that we have to walk through and walk around and walk among, they seem so big. And yet if we'll mount up and see them as the Lord sees them, the Lord sees them as very small things. The Lord sees them as, as very tiny things. And friends, the Lord has done this for us. And he's given us the ability to mount up, to rise up above these things, or to rise above the weak and the beggarly elements of this old world. Because I can tell you this, if you're discouraged, you don't have to be. If you're cast down, you don't have to be. 
If you're sorrowful and if you're dispirited, you don't have to be. Because no matter what you experience, no matter what you've gone through, and I'm not going to get in the middle of your life, but no matter what it is, the Lord is still on his throne. And the Lord still has as much power and grace and mercy as he's ever had. That hasn't changed. You know what's changed? My ability to see it like I need to. Friends, the Lord has been exceptionally good to his children here on this earth. I had a preacher remind me of this years ago because I thought, you know what? I finally learned how it is to be thankful. And I was at a meeting and I preached a sermon that if you were able to rise up out of bed, you had everything to be thankful for for that day. And I thought I had it figured out. This old preacher got up behind me and said, if you had a bed to get up out of, you ought to be thankful for that. I said, you know what? I thank the Lord for getting up out of bed, but I forgot to thank Him for the bed that I had. <laughs> you know, we have so much that we just take for granted that it just passes by our, 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 our faces. Friends, do you realize how many people sometimes today struggle just to have enough sustenance to make it through today? And yet we have food enough and to spare. How many of God's children may be hungering and thirsting after righteousness, but do not have access to the gospel that we have? And yet we can... Here in the good old South, we can just about throw a rock and hit a permanent Baptist church building. I mean, that's a wonderful blessing to have. I was talking to Brother Larry and Sister Basha last night. You know, they came from the land of the lost. <clears throat> you know, I'm glad y'all made them feel welcome here because I used to, I can say that, I used to live in California. It's the land of the lost. They don't know what's up and what's down. <laughs> Point is this, in California, you have to drive hundreds of miles to get to the nearest church sometimes. Some people actually drive hundreds of miles just to get to their home church. That's how scattered and how few they are. There are states in this union that don't have permanent Baptist churches. You know, if any of you want to go to Alaska and constitute a church, I'll be your first pastor. I'd love to live up there. Now, I know, y'all, it's all too cold. But anyway, you know, if you want to constitute a church in Alaska, I'm ready. Let's go. Because I've always wanted to hunt up there. I have an ulterior motive. But moving on. The point is this. So much passes through our sight. We just take it for granted. The Lord has been exceptionally good to us. And if we can get above these old cares and troubles of this old world for a little while and see things as God sees them, then we have a better perspective of how we ought to approach our life. Let me ask you a question. What do you think God was doing in 2020? I've had this question posed to me for the last year and a half. I've had questions like this posed to me for a year and a half. I actually had a lady... Uh, my children are probably tired of hearing this story, but when you go to a new place, you get to use fresh story, or old stories. Anyway, when this all first started, a lady at work came to me and she said, are you a preacher? Or you're a preacher, right? And I said, well, that's what they tell me. And she said, could this all be the beginning of the end of the world? I said, I don't know. And she said, what if it is? I said, hallelujah! And she looked at me like I had an eyeball right there. And she said, What? I said, if this is the beginning of the end of the world, I'm going home. And she said, okay, never mind. Let's, let's think about the actual, what it is. I said, okay. She said, what if you get it? I said, okay. She said, you might get it. I said, I might. She said, what then? I said, either I'll get better or I won't. I didn't know what she was looking for. But I said, either I'll recover or I won't. She said, what if you don't? I said, hallelujah. And she said, what? I said, I'm going home. She said, I don't think I can talk to you about this. I said, I'm sorry. <clears throat> what do you think God was doing in 2020? Do you think God was in heaven doing this? 
Do you think God was in heaven going, boy, I didn't see this coming? Now, I didn't see this coming. But do you think God was saying, well, I didn't see this coming? No, friends, God was in heaven as sure and secure in his power and his position as he's ever been. And I can tell you exactly what he was doing because he's been doing the same thing he's been doing for the last 2,000 years since Paul said it. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul in his sermon that we call on Mars Hill, where he's preaching to some Greeks, some Stoics, and some Epicureans, he starts talking about God and who he is. And he has this to say about God. He said, we ought not to think of the Godhead as being of gold or silver or some other instrument of man's device. It's not something you can see and hold and touch with your natural senses. But he said, at the times of this ignorance, the misguided ways that people are living, the misguided ways that people think about God, he said, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath appointed. Here it says that when it comes to the ignorance and the things happening on this earth, God winks at these things. Now, when I was a little boy, first starting to read the Bible, I came across this expression. I went, what? What does that mean God's winking at something? I mean, I think about winking as something that a, a young boy does to a girl when he thinks she's cute. But that's not what God's doing. He's not winking his eye in heaven. This word wingtat means to look over something. Not to overlook something, but to look over something. And there's a big difference between that. We overlook things. We overlook them if we want to ignore them, if we want to pretend they don't exist. We overlook them if we just are simply too busy and engaged and we miss them. That's to overlook something. But to look over something means that you can see past it. You can see beyond it. And what the Lord is doing today is He's looking past and beyond all these things and He's seeing a day in which He's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath appointed. He sees the day when Jesus is going to come back and He's going to bring us all home to be with Him, to be united, body, soul, and spirit, world without end, in life and peace forevermore. That's what God sees. That's why Paul could write in Romans 8 and 29 and 30 that for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to see you good people again. But friends, I'm not looking at glorified right now. I'm looking at gray hair. I'm looking at no hair. As much as you've made an attempt to put on a good appearance, and thank you for that. Uh, you have wrinkles, you have effects of aging, no offense, but it's just, it's a reality. And by the way, I meant what I said. I'm thankful that you put the, the work in before we came here this morning. You know, there's this new wave, I don't know if y'all have it in Nashville or Goodlettsville, um, of come as you are. I don't want you to come as you are. <laughs> you don't want me to come as I am. I mean, I'm surprised Sister Basha this morning when she saw me didn't just freak out. I mean, my hair was like this. And there's not as much of it as there used to be, but it was all standing up. Now, if I'd have come in here, y'all would have been like, who is that guy? <laughs> but friends, put on an appearance to make the very best that we can of our situation here. But friends, I'm not looking at glorified, but Paul says glorified in the past tense. Why does he say that? Because God in heaven can look over, look past and beyond all these things. And he sees us glorified in the image and in the person of his darling son. And the Lord in 2020, and the Lord in 2021, and the Lord on this day, 
He's looking past all the ignorance that is happening in this whole world. I admit to you this morning that I get troubled, that I get cast down, that I get burdened over, and I have sorrow in this whole world. Sometimes I'm like those souls that are beheaded in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 6 who ask the Lord the question, How long, O Lord? How long is it going to be? And sometimes I feel like this day will never end. I feel like the years will never come to, uh, uh, come to an end. I feel like, friends, that life is a struggle and a burden. And I ask that question, how long, O oh Lord? How long is it going to be before all these things come to pass? But friends, the Lord is not troubled by these things because He's above all these things. He looks past all these things and He can see the end from the beginning. What is our job? To get above these things. To get beyond all these things. Do not become so attached to the cares and the troubles of this old world. And try to see things the way God does. And what will be the result of that? When we mount up in that way, when we're above all these things, we'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint. Well, if this is something I want, if this is something that I really want in my life, that I don't want to be burdened, troubled, sorrowed, cast down, discouraged in despair, how do I do that? I have to wait on the Lord. And when I wait on the Lord, I renew my strength. I told you waiting is not natural. It's not something we do normally. But you know, how we wait upon the Lord makes a big difference. Have you ever uh, traveled with somebody who was no fun to travel with? What I mean by that, and I'm going to have to step out so you can see what I'm talking about. When they're waiting on you, they're going. What they're saying is, hurry up, let's go. Now, I do that to my children because they need it, okay? If it, if it were up to my children, we'd never be on time anywhere. So, having said that, is that how I wait on the Lord? Tapping my foot, saying, well, Lord, when are you going to show up? No, pretend this chapter division doesn't exist. Go right with me into chapter 41 and verse 1. He tells us how we wait on the Lord. He tells us how we renew our strength. He says, let the islands come near and let them keep silent and then renew their strength. And then let them come near and we shall speak together. Here he says that waiting on the Lord is something else that's very hard to do. It's just being quiet. I'm doing this on purpose. How many of you are uncomfortable whenever I stop talking? How long could you go? We don't like quiet. We don't like being still. I move around when I'm up here. If I'm just going to be still and quiet, it has to be like this. That's tough. But friends, so many times, we as God's children, we come to Him and we want to talk. But we don't always want to listen. My children, when I arrive on the scene and we're in the middle of a hair-pulling, biting, kicking exercise, and I say stop, they all want to put their case before me. Before I hand out any judgment, they all and they act like I didn't see what happened. Oh, no, Daddy, I didn't do that. I, I watched you do it. You know, I watched you pull your sister's hair. I watched you bite your brother's arm. You know, and they stand there. No, no, I didn't. And then that like us. We tell the Lord, no, no, Lord, I, I didn't do that. He sees what we're doing. And many times when we come to the Lord, and friends, I'm not saying you don't pour out your 
heart to him and you don't tell him what's troubling you. But friends, remember this, before you ever came to the throne of grace, he already knows what we stand in need of. He already knows what's going on in my life. I may have mentioned this the last time I was here, but if I don't remember, maybe you don't either. That's one of the problems with live streams and podcasts and recorded sermons. People remember what I say long after I've forgotten it. So anyway, allow me to tell this story if I've already told it. Um, Growing up at Middleton Creek, there was was an old deacon there who taught me as much about life as my own parents did. Several of you knew him. His name was Alfred Cawthron. And when I was 16, I already told you I was an idiot when I was 16, I was the absolute picture-perfect prayer in church. I mean, I wasn't preaching, but my prayers had more preaching in it than some preachers did, okay? I knew how to quote every scripture that needed to be quoted in a prayer. And man, I could just fill it out and say everything that needed to be said, just like it ought to be said, I thought. And when I was about 16, my father called on me to close service with prayer, and I said everything that I thought needed to be said. And when I was done, Brother Alfred came up to me and said, Boy, let's go for a walk. That was not a good sign. And so we walked out into the pine trees in the parking lot at Middleton Creek, And he turned and he looked at me and he said, Bye. He said, don't quote the book to the man that wrote it. He knows what it says. Yes, sir. He said, when you go to him and you pray, he wants to hear you tell him how you feel. He wants to hear you tell him what he means to you. How much you need him. How much you trust him. How much faith you have in him. I've never forgotten that lesson. Friends, he knows what I stand in need of. And when I come before him, sometimes I need to come before him with the respect and the honor of just saying, Lord, I'm here. And I'm here to hear whatever you have to tell me, to do whatever it is you tell me to do. And no matter how difficult it may be, and no matter how hard this old flesh may not want to, I'm going to do whatever it is you tell me to do. What what was it that Isaiah said when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? Did he say, Hallelujah, I've seen the Lord. He said, No, woe is me. For I'm a man undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Friends, it is an honor and a privilege and a blessing to be able to see the Lord and to come before Him and to gather with Him and have fellowship with Him. And Isaiah had no room to speak. He said, I can't speak. I have nothing to say to God and all that He could do. And what did the Lord do? The Lord took a burning coal from off the fire of the altar. He put it on Isaiah's tongue and He says, Thy tongue is cleansed. And He says, And now... Speak. And he said, who am, who, Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. He didn't even know where he was going. Didn't even know what he was going to be doing. But he just said, Lord, if you send me, I'll go. If you say speak, I'll speak. If you tell me to do it, I'll do it. Friends, how do we renew our strength when we wait upon the Lord and we come before him with silence and honor and glory and giving him the respect and the reverence that he deserves? Then it says, Let them come near. And then let us speak. And come together to judgment. Friends, I want in this world to understand what it is that the Lord would have me to do. I want to understand what His will is for me in my life. What His his, uh, glory would be had in my life. Because friends, this world, if you don't understand it, and if you're not aware of this, I'm sorry for the news flash. Knowing your pastor, I'm sure you already know this. This world is not about you. It never has been. And the church is not about you. And it never has been. This world was made for His glory. The church was established for His glory. My life should be lived for His glory. And my pleasure should be to do whatsoever prospers and glorifies the name of our Father which is in heaven. What happens when I do that? When my focus is not on myself. When my focus is on Him. When my focus is on His glory. 
I don't get so concerned with the things of this old world. I don't get so concerned with the weak and the beggarly elements that happen here. And I'll tell you this, it will make me less concerned and struggle with the ways in which I've come short of the glory of God. Now let me be very clear here. We ought to mourn for our sins. We ought to have a feeling of sorrow and repentance when we come short of the glory of God. But friends, there comes a point when we have to commit it to the Lord's faithful keeping and leave it there. I'm not going to pretend to know what has happened in your life, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you about all the details that have happened in my life. I don't have the time and you don't have the patience. But I can tell you this, of all the things you've done, and of all the things that I've done, I highly doubt any of us walk around with the guilt that the Apostle Paul had to walk around with. He was one bad dude. Is that okay to say dude here? I mean, I'm just a country boy, but is dude okay to say in the city? All right. So he was a bad dude. He not only knew what it was like to put people in prison, he knew what it was like to put people to death. And when the Lord turned him around and made him the Apostle Paul, what was his response to the Lord? He said, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I can't do what you've called me to do because they know what I was. They know who I put in prison. They know who I put to death. I even held the coats of those that stoned thy martyr Stephen when he was put to death. I can't do this. But you know, the Lord didn't say, you know what, Paul, you're right. Sorry I mentioned it. We won't talk about it. He said, no, you go and you preach and you do what I told you to do. Now let me ask you a question. Honestly. If there was somebody who came into this church one Sunday morning and took your mother, father, husband, wife, child, friend, cousin, you name it, and dragged him out of here, put him in prison, and you heard that a few weeks, days or weeks later, that your loved one had been executed for doing nothing more than worshiping the name of Christ. And then a few years later, Brother Ronald said, we're going to have our meeting, and our visiting preacher is going to be that same fella you watched come in here and drag your loved one out how many of you are going to be here for your own meeting? I didn't think so. Wouldn't that be hard to listen to that man preach? Wouldn't it be hard to bend down and wash that brother's feet? Wouldn't it be hard to give that brother the right hand of fellowship? I tell you, knowing me, that would be hard. But your Lord, the Lord didn't tell Paul, you know what, it's hard, you don't have to do it. He said, Paul, you go and do it. Now, the Lord was very merciful. Most of who Paul preached to were Gentiles. Most of who he preached to weren't the very same people he put in prison, but he still preached to the Jews from time to time. What has the Lord called upon me to do that's to that level? Of all the days I've ever had in my life, I've never had a day like Job had where he lost his children and he lost all his possessions in a single day. A few days later, he lost his health lost the respect of his wife. I tell you, I've never had a day like that. But how did Job respond to that? He said, the Lord gave, and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what I should say? No matter where I am in life, the Lord gave, and the Lord sometimes takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He doesn't owe me anything in this world and he's given me so much. How hard 
should it be to just come before him and say, Lord, I'm here. Whatever you would have me to do, I'm here. The Apostle Paul in Acts 27 was having a very bad day. He was with a lot of people who'd been having a bad day. And they'd been having, a, if you'll allow me to say this, a bad few weeks. So to say that they understand what it's like to where we've been recently is an understatement. Their lives were in jeopardy. They were out in the middle of the ocean. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know where they'd been for the last 14 days. They'd had almost a mutiny where people tried to jump ship, and Paul had to tell the captain of the ship, if these leave, we're not going to be saved. So they bring them back in, let the boats go out. And now they've come to a point where the Bible tells us that all hope that we should be saved was lost. Have you ever been there when you felt like all hope for a situation was gone? That's where they were, and Paul comes to them and he says, Sirs, be of good cheer. I tell you this morning, be of good cheer. Why? Because the angel of the Lord hath appeared unto me. And here's what the angel told me. He said, Paul, all these in the boat are safe. All these that are with you are going to be taken care of. And what does Paul say? He says, and I believe God that it shall be even as the angel said unto me. Paul's not saying, I believe in God. He's saying, I believe what God said. I trust what God said that he's telling the truth. You might say, well, preacher, are you telling me that an angel appeared to you last night? Not in physical form, but I can tell you this. Every time you go to this right here, and I hope you go to this every day, when you go to this, this is God speaking directly to you. You say, well, that's a book that was written thousands of years ago. It is. And it's just as fresh and relevant today as it was the day the Lord inspired it to be written. It's just as true now as it's ever been. And when you read it, it is the Lord speaking directly to you. Yes, I know it's hard to read that so-and-so beget so-and-so and so-and-so beget so-and-so. I, I know that. And I can't tell you I understand everything I read or even enjoy to the same degree every passage that I read. But I can tell you this. When you go to it, it's the Lord speaking. And what should I do when I read the Word of God? I should believe God that whatever it says, it's even going to come to pass, even as the Lord has said it. How do I rise up? How do I run and not be weary? How do I walk and not faint? When I remember and, and consider, friends, that the Lord does not fail. The Lord is not discouraged. And He gives strength to the poor and to them that have no might. He increases strength. To understand that he never leaves and he never forsakes his children. To understand that in six trials and in seven he is with us. To understand that even if we go through the waters, they will not, they'll be as the waters of Noah. They'll not overflow us. If we have to go through the fire, he goes through the fire with us. To understand, friends, that as he has been with us, so he will always be with us. And he has loved us with an everlasting love and with loving kindness he has drawn us. To understand, friends, that of all which the Father hath given him, he's not going to lose a single one. All these promises are still true today, as true as they've ever been. And they will never, ever be undone. How do I believe God? I go to those promises. I go to those exceeding great and precious promises. And I draw comfort and I draw strength. You know, there's a, a, a sense in which you could say that Isaiah 40 and verse 31 is a perspective text. Because if you are on the ground and there's a mountain in front of you, that's literally a mountain. 
And if you rise up like an eagle and you're up in the air and you're looking down on the mountain, that's still a mountain. It hasn't changed. The mountain is exactly as it was. It's the same height, the same breadth, the same volume, everything. But it looks different based on your perspective. Let me give you another perspective text that marries up with Isaiah 40 and verse 31. This is, these are two verses that I go to in times of trouble. If you want to write these down, you go to these in times of trouble. The last two verses of 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He writes, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Question. Has everything you've ever gone through felt light? Hadn't for me. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. If you get the word that you have cancer, it's going to hurt. Unless God takes you home early, it's going to hurt. It hurts watching one of your loved ones dry up in a bed. It hurts, friends, when we watch somebody whose mind or whose body has outlived their mind. I visited with my grandmother. She was my last living grandmother until she passed a couple of months ago. I saw her about a month, month and a half before she passed. Now, granted, even if she'd have had her mind, I'd have probably been hard to recognize. I mean, they had dressed me up in a moon suit to go into that assisted living facility. I mean, I had booties on my boots. I had some gowns, some masks, some gloves. And I literally had to put my cowboy hat on when I went into the room just so grandmother might recognize me because I wouldn't have recognized me. But friends, regardless of that, had I even not had all that on, grandmother didn't know who I was. And that was hard. It was hard not to be able to talk to a woman that I'd talked to for many hours and had a lot of good times with. That hurts! I'm not going to tell you it doesn't. It does. But here Paul says, our light affliction. How is it light? It's light, friends, when we do a certain thing and don't do another thing. He says, heaven is exceedingly weighty and powerful. Well, I can tell you this, if you make heaven as bright and glorious and unimaginably majestic as you can make it, it's even bigger than that. But how do I make something that's already without bound and majestic, how do I make that even bigger? Because friends, the best way to do that is to put your focus in the right place. You know what helped when I went and saw grandmother? What helped is I remembered Bible conversations that we'd had. I remembered life lessons that she'd given me that I had lived long enough to see come to pass. When I watched my own father dying of cancer, you know what helped? It helped to see a man who had cancer eating up his entire body, to be laying in bed reading the Bible without a Bible. That helped. To hear him reading the book of Romans by memory, that helped. Some people say, why do you try and study the Bible so hard? Because friends, when I was 20 years old and dad was dying, I thought I knew the Bible. Seeing him read the book of Romans without a Bible, I said, you don't know anything. You've got some work to do. So I went back and I started doing some more work. But friends, that helps. You know what really hurts? What really hurts is when you hear somebody at the end of their life talk about one regret after another. I don't want to come to the end of my life with one regret after another. I want, as the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 24, I want to be this way. 
where he talks about all the things that he's been through and all the trouble that he's lived through, and he says this, but none of these things move me. You know what that means? None of these things are getting to me. Why? So that I might finish my course with joy. The Apostle Paul said, I want to come to the end of my way with joy. Because friends, we're going to come to the end of our way one way or the other, but I want to come to the end of my way with joy. How do I do that? I want to come to the end of my way thinking that this life has been light, thinking the afflictions have been light, thinking that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. How do I do that? I want to come to the end of my way and heaven look as just as beautiful and refulgent as I can possibly make it. How do I do that? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me tell you something, friends. If a mountain is in front of me and I'm on the ground, it's going to be hard to see anything besides that mountain. But you know, if I'm flying in the air, I've got to almost make a decision to look down at the mountain that's under me. When it comes to us mounting up with wings as eagles, it's not going to take the mountains away. May it direct our mind and our focus upward so that whenever we see the Lord high and lifted up, we'd almost have to make a conscious decision to look down at the mountain again. How do I do that? Come before Him with the honor and the reverence that He deserves. Come before Him, and when He comes near, then we speak together. Friends, I look forward to being with you today. But you know, I trust, you be the judge of this, I trust that I didn't come to the Lord and say, Lord, now when I go to Bethel, I want to leave a good impression, so you bless me to preach on grace, and may I open up to Romans 8, and may we just go through Primitive Baptist 101. That's not how a preacher's supposed to go to the Lord. Because I don't know what you need. I'm not here with you, but he does. And I can assure you, if you got something today that you needed, Brother Ronald didn't talk to me either. I talked to him this week, but we talked for five minutes, and he did not tell me what to preach. But you know, if Brother Ronald or whoever stands before here says something, and it's exactly what you need, you know what the, what's happening? The Lord is speaking, and the Lord is telling you, rise up above this for a little while. Come up to be where I am, and let's talk together. Let's have fellowship with one another. Let's come together to judgment. Let me tell you how this is going to work out. Let me show you again the end of this way. Because I can tell you this, friends, even though faith and the Word of God is like a lamp into our feet, it may only show us where the next step needs to be. It's also a light to our path. It may not tell me everything that's going to happen for the rest of my life, but it does show me the end of the story. It shows me how all this ends. And friends, I may not know what I'm going to live through, what you're going to live through between now and then until we get there. But between now and then, may we remember and look over these things and see the end and rejoice in it. Because I can tell you this, that will help us through the mountains and the problems today. That will get us through a year like we've had. That will get us through troubling times. That will get us through raising our children. That will get us through... You know, a government doing something we don't want it to do. That'll get us through all the things that we may face. And it will make heaven even more bright and refulgent to us. May we wait on the Lord. May we renew our strength. And may we have this benefit in our life so that when others see us, they say, well, you don't seem discouraged. You don't seem cast down. You don't seem wore out. 
How is that? Then we have something to talk about. I can tell you this, friends. I've heard all I ever want to hear about Corona for the next three lifetimes, okay? I've heard all I want to hear about politics for the next three lifetimes. But you know what I could do to hear again? How much God loves his children. I could hear again how good the Lord has been to his people. I could hear again, friends, about these promises of the Lord because that makes today a whole lot better. That makes tomorrow something worth looking forward to. And that makes all the things of life that I may experience seem small, light, and not even worthy to be compared with that which is to come. It's not going to change anything, but it'll change the way I look at it. It'll change the way I see it. May the Lord bless us to see things as he sees them, to look at them the way he looks at them, and go through life honoring and glorifying him for all of his mercy and all of his grace unto us, not just in the world to come, but even in the here and now, between now and the time we get there. I hope these things have been a blessing unto you. If they have, you give him all the praise, honor, and glory. May the Lord bless you. my prayer.